message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. Good morning. Um, It's great to be here. This morning, we're continuing our series on Galatians, but we're actually going to, we're diving deep into looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And we're taking each one individually and focusing in on what that looks like to develop that characteristic in our lives as Christians. And this morning, we're going to focus on peace. In 2018, a study was done that found that nearly 78% of teenagers in America would say that they have more than average levels of stress. In 2022, an American Psychological Association study found that nearly 30% of adults claim that on most days, they're so stressed that they can't function. And about 50% of adults between the ages of 18 and 34 say that most days they feel overwhelmed. Google, our, our source for everything, you can actually look up what, how often people search different things. And over the last 12 months, Google Trends has found that Searching, Googling how to stop anxiety or something around that, those words only dropped below 75% popularity in the United States over the last 12 months, twice, the week of Thanksgiving and the week of Christmas. We are frantically looking for peace in our culture. We are trying to find what can alleviate the stress, what can alleviate our, our anxieties And our culture says, it's in you. It's in your power. You just got to dig deep in yourself. You have to find that inner peace within you and all of those other things, all the stress will melt away. But actually studies are showing that we're more and more stressed and more and more anxious as a society now than ever before. The culture's answer to this problem is not working. So we need to look at another option. One of my favorite images that scripture used to describe peace is that of a river. The book of Isaiah chapter 66 verse 12 says, for thus says the Lord, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. I love this imagery of a river because a river has a source and from that source it progresses, it flows down. Normally, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that would always say the book version is way better than the movie. That's how I generally approach things, except for one scene. I think Peter Jackson in his movie, The, the Two Towers, captured this, this scene wonderfully. And it's the scene where the Ents are breaking down the dam that's up in the mountains that the evil wizard Sauron has dammed the river and the ents come and they break it. And you pan out in the mountains of New Zealand and you see the water just come rushing down, rushing down the mountain and it floods the valley and the water spreads out. And when I think of peace like a river, that's the image that goes in my mind. And I, I visualize that scene in the movie over than what I created when I first read the book. And so this morning, we're going to talk about peace. And we're going to talk about the source of our peace. But the main focus will be dealing with the progression. 
how it flows from that source, goes down into the valley and spreads out. And that's because that's what Paul has in mind when he's talking about cultivating the fruit of the spirit of peace in our hearts. As we look at this, we're going we're to read from Galatians chapter 5. But we're also going to spend some time looking at the book of Ephesians in chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. Now, now kids, I want you to be on the, on the lookout listening for who is the source of our peace. And also, I want you to think about, listen for a story about a shipwreck. So please follow along as I read from starting in Galatians 5, um, verses 22 and 23, and then we'll hop over to Ephesians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then flipping over to Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore, I remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you are at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And and he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Through him we have both access to one spirit to the Father. This is the word of the Lord. It is good and faithful and true. Paul, at the beginning of verse, uh, right here in Ephesians 4, uh, 2, 14 through 16, he says, For he himself is our peace. So the peace that we will find is not in ourselves, it's in Christ. Paul says, for he himself is our peace who has made us both, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing walls of hostility. Stress, anxiety, and strife are symptoms of the sickness of the world. And that sickness is sin. We cannot achieve peace like our culture says by looking into our own hearts and finding that deep inner peace because when we go deep into our own hearts, we find brokenness and sin. We don't find peace. Paul, we cannot find peace because, unless it's achieved through the healing of the world. Paul uses an analogy that sin has built up a dividing wall. And that wall is between us and God but it's also between us and our fellow man. Sin creates barriers that oppose peace. Christ is the source of our peace because he was able to break that wall of hostility. Theologian Cornelius Plantinga wrote, the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We call it peace. 
In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affair in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens the doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. The source of our peace is only found when Jesus, the creator and savior, opens the doors and welcomes us in in delight. The source of our peace is Christ who broke down the walls of hostility built by our sin. And because the walls have been torn down by Christ, the source of our peace, the peace of God flows into our hearts. So let's look at the peace of God. While the peace that we received by the atoning work of Christ is important and foundational to our status as the children of God, it's probably not what Paul is talking about when he says the fruit of the Spirit. Paul is referring to something that flows out of that peace of who Christ is. And certainly God gives us peace with God through the cross, but he also gives us the peace of God as a result of our salvation. This is what Paul is most likely referring to as peace as the fruit of the Spirit, this idea of the peace of God. So what does having the peace of God mean for us as Christians? It means that we can let go of our stress, anxiety, and strife that surfaces in our own hearts and our lives. Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew reflects on this when he proclaims this truth of our stress in terms of our day-to-day physical needs. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? We're called to be able to trust in the peace of God flows into our hearts from the cross. And we can let our stress and anxieties melt away. Now that sounds really good, but it also sounds kind of like a dream world. It doesn't always flesh out that way in our life. Earlier this week, uh, Patti and I were talking about the peace of God in the office and she had some great insights on the fact that we as a culture, we, we don't always think about peace as, we think about peace as an emotion. We, we think about peace that it must be accompanied by a happy, gushy, mushy feeling. Oh, we feel peace. Almost like we, we, she mentioned, it's like, we kind of associate it with like the butterfly feelings that we get in our stomach when we fall in love. Oh, we're at, we're at peace, this happy moment. But the peace of God is present even in midst of pain and suffering. It's not always on the emotional high. Peace is actually found when things are not going well. Paul in Philippians chapter four, he says, do not be anxious for anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is the aspect of the peace of God that surpasses all understanding because it doesn't make sense to our human minds. Having peace in the midst of sadness, fear, and worry seems like a foreign response. It's not how we naturally approach difficult situations. It's our difficult times. And so it's clear that to have a peace like this, it must flow from God himself, the source of all peace. There was a man that lived in the late 1800s by the name of Horatio Spafford. And he was a successful businessman and lawyer in the city of Chicago. But he and his wife are by no means strangers to hardship and tragedy. In 1871, his youngest son died of pneumonia. And later that same year, much of his business was destroyed in the great fire of Chicago that burned most of the city that year. In November of of 1873, just a few years later, after rebuilding his business, his wife and four daughters set sail on a French liner and they're going to go on a family vacation, essentially, and they're going to tour Europe. Horatio had some unfinished business to do in Chicago, so he stayed behind and he said, I'll I'll take the next ship in a couple of weeks and I'll join you over there and we'll continue our journey. About four days into the crossing for his wife and daughters, the ship collides with another ship and the ship goes down. His wife Anna is found in the wreckage a couple of days later, but her daughters were lost. She makes it to Wales and she wires her husband and says this. It's just all the the wire said was saved alone. What shall I do? Horatio immediately booked passage to England and four days into the journey, the captain of the ship calls him into his cabin and says, Horatio, this is the spot. This is where the ship went down. This is where your daughters were lost. And he fell to his knees in tears. And then he got up and returned to his cabin. He took out a pen and paper and he sat at the desk and he wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I love this story because it beautifully illustrates the fact that he found peace and he was not feeling happy. He was not at an emotional high and he wrote this beautiful hymn that we, most of us here probably know and love. And this was a song that my family, we actually sang at the end of my own father's funeral. It was not a happy time but it was a peaceful time. This is an example that peace is not found in the, when life is just carefree and happy, go lucky. It's found even in the midst of sadness and it's the peace of God that allows us to sing, it is well. Whatever happens, whatever our lot, it is well. And that comes from the peace of God. We all face times of sadness and pain. And so my question for you this morning is, are you looking to yourself to find peace when things are crashing down around you? Or are you resting in the peace of God that flows from God himself? 
Christ is the source of our peace. And from him, the peace of God flows into our hearts. And out of that, out of our hearts, flows peace with others. Going back to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 17, Paul says that he, Jesus, came to preach peace. John Stott, in his commentary on the book of Ephesians, said, Jesus Christ is still preaching peace to the world today on the lips of his followers. For it is truly a wonderful fact that whenever we proclaim peace, it is Christ who proclaims it through us. Another way of looking at and understanding when it says he came to preach peace is he came to instruct peace. He came to call us and command us to proclaim peace on his behalf. Paul also mentions in his letter to the Romans, he says, if, it, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We're commanded to live in peace with everyone, even those who have wronged us. This goes for both the people both inside the church and also outside the church. Scripture makes no distinction that, hey, Christians, you're only to live at peace with fellow Christians. No, we're to live at peace with those outside the church. We're to proclaim the peace of God to the world. During the Nazi occupation of the Netherlands, in the town of Harlem, the Ten Boom family did something amazing. They took time, they took their resources, and they renovated their home and actually built a, a secret room in the top floor of their house. They, they put in a system where a buzzer could be heard and it would ring alarms all over the house, letting people know to flee to this room. And they did this so they could help Jews escape the Nazis um, in the Netherlands. They did this for a while and they were, they were feeding all of these refugees with ration books. And the Nazis found out that they had violated the, the ration book laws. And so they arrest the Ten, Boom, the Ten Boom family. And Corey and her sister Betsy were sent to several prisons along the way, but eventually ended up at the women's labor camp called uh, Ravensbrück. And their father, Casper Ten Boom, was sent to prison. And while in Ravensbrück, Corey and Betsy learned that their father had died just ten day, nine days after his arrest. And while they were there, they were treated horribly. But they managed to smuggle in a Bible. And they started leading Bible studies for the fellow, their fellow prisoners. And in the midst of them being treated horribly by their guards, they encouraged people, treat the guards with kindness. Respect them. Don't fight back. Live peaceably with our captors. During the, the harsh winter of 1944, Betsy died in prison. And it was a few weeks later that it came out that the Nazis had made a clerical error that resulted in their arrest. And Corey was released. She had lost her father, her sister, and she goes back home. And in 1946, when, when the war ended, she makes a trip back to Germany. And what does she do? She sought out two of the guards. The two guards in particular that were incredibly harsh to her 
and her sister. And some would even say that these guards were primarily responsible for her sister's death because they could have given her the medical treatment that she needed. And what does Corey do? She says, I forgive you. She showed them peace, even though they had greatly wronged her. Christ is the source of all our peace and the peace of God flows into our hearts and we must allow that same peace to flow out to others. We're called to live at peace. So what does that look like? What does it look like to live at peace with others? Well, I want to share three three ways that I think we should be striving to live at peace with both those inside the church and outside the church. First, we should be careful to avoid the kinds of words and attitudes that easily create misunderstanding and division. Living peaceably with others does not mean we can't or should not address sin. Living peaceably doesn't mean we don't call out what is wrong, but it means we're select in our words. We ensure that we will be well received. We don't speak off the cuff. Second, we should be quick to apologize and say sorry, even when it's not nece- we're not necessarily in the wrong. A pastor over in England, a guy named Christopher Wright, he wrote a book on the, the fruit of the Spirit, and he says this. He says, saying sorry may be the hardest word to say, but it is often the one It is often the first one that leads back to peace. So we should be quick to apologize and say sorry. And third, we should avoid all kinds of gossip. Now we can easily justify gossip in our lives, in our hearts by saying, it isn't gossip if it's true. We have a false sense of what gossip is, we justify it. We say gossip is when you spread rumors about someone that's not true behind their back. No, gossip is when we talk about people in a negative way behind their back. Whether they did what we say they did or not is is a non-issue. So if you've been wronged by someone, it's still gossip to go and talk about someone else, talk about that person with someone else about how horrible they were for the way they wronged you especially if you've not made restoration yourself. And this is very easy in our culture of social media. We, we justify, oh, I can just blast this on social media and that's okay because they might see it. So it's not really talking about them behind their back. They have an opportunity to see it. But again, that's not living at peace. That's stirring the pot. We're called to initiate Peace, even when we are not in the wrong. Humanity is craving and searching for peace right now. Paul encourages Christians to cultivate peace in our lives. And to do so, we must remember that the source of peace is not within us or within our power. It is Christ himself. Christ is the source of our peace and that source flows into our hearts as the peace of God. And out of that, our heart flows the peace with others. This is how peace is cultivated. It starts with Christ. He takes root in our hearts and it spreads to those around us. 
I'm going to close our time by praying the prayer that Christopher Wright closes his chapter on peace in his book. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there are doubt, faith. And where there is despair, hope. And where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Lord, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.